0: Looking forward to chat, chatting with with, with Sha- Sasha Turner, and indeed, I have the pleasure as we speak. So Sa- Sasha Turner is here. She's she has her doctorate, and she's an associate professor of history at Quinnipiac University. And we're going to talk about her book. We're going to talk about abolition. We're going to talk about well, the prison industrial complex. We're going to talk about really the connection of of history and her his his story and her story. But what does that mean for 2018 as we move forward? So we're not going to deal. T- Uh, Totally or exclusively on the past, but as we were chatting, Shasha before before he came on air, the connection is really profound. And I think it depends on where you kind of place yourself in history. Some of us kind of live in the past. Some of us live in the present. Some of us maybe kind of uh, maybe live in the future and don't even know in terms of our fantasies and our desires. So that whole mental outlook and the whole psych- psychological approach of what does it mean to be a, a person on the planet is really something that the Tom Ficklin show is involved with. And Shashi is going to help to kind of ground us with all those metaphors that I've talked about. She's going to help help to ground us in, term, in terms of, of her, her practice, her work. Really, I mean, you're still young, but your life thus far, uh, and, her, and her and her commitment from things, uh, particularly pert- pertaining to a new book that she has out, and so welcome. Good morning.
1: Thank you. Good morning, Tom. Good to see you. Good to Thanks see for you. To I, I got to
0: say, and this is going to sound sexist, but I mean, everybody's into this sexist thing. I shouldn't say they're into it, but men have to really admit that they're sexist, right? And well, you, don't, you know, you, you could disagree with that, but my, my con- But listening. my, my, my <laughs> contention is that the best men can do, uh, a male can do, is to, is to aspire to be a reformed. To be to be be in the the, the, the reform path, they kind of recognize that you're kind of an inveterate. It's kind of built into your DNA, and just be aware that that you got to kind of just. I'm like a, a, a Alcoholics Anonymous kind of club. So, so let me spit it out. I've looked at I've stalked your pictures, <laughs> and, and you have maybe seven or eight different personas. <laughs> And I wasn't quite sure at one point when I was emailing you, I had to double check to be sure I had the same person. And I say that uh, again, so it's, that's that's somewhat sexist because it kind of ma- me- means that you're, you you know you should be confined to one one look, but right. you do have a lot of a lot of looks. So I guess I guess gotta get that out. of I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. Right. And as a photographer, I kind of noticed these things, so that I was really kind of amazed and bemused and really uh, excited to see uh, uh, your, your versatility and in your, in your creativity. So right. I, I guess want to kind of kind of. <laughs> get, get that in as kind of a, maybe a makeup for, for my right. problem. But, but Sa- Sasha, good morning.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Tom. Good
0: morning. Um, you're here in New Haven. You're here in, in, in Quinnipiac. Uh, you're here. Uh, the Gilder Lehrman. Tell me about the Gilder Lehrman. Let's jump to that real quick, that connection.
1: Well, thank you for um, bringing up the Gilder Lehrman. So I actually just completed a fellowship um, at the Gilder Lehrman Center for the Study of Slavery, Resistance, and Abolition. Um, and I spent the last semester, and I'm, you know, continuing to do that because I'm also in sabbatical from Quinnipiac. I spent the last semester at the Gilder Lerman Center focusing on research for my new book, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um <laughs> well, we have it right here. So, well, no. Um, oh, oh, so oh, another my book. My second okay. book. Your second so book. So I should okay. say my second book. Okay. Um, so, you know, the way in which the Academy works is that, you know, before the first book can, you know, get out there and percolate in the public mm. sphere, we have to begin thinking about our second book. Um, and so, my second book um, is somewhat of uh, stem from this first book here, "Contested Bodies: uh, Pregnancy, Childbirth, and Slavery in Jamaica." Um, the second book that I worked on at the Gilder Center here at Yale University uh, is an emotional story about slavery. So, the mm. title that I am working mm. with for this second book uh, is "Slavery, Emotions, and Gender." Mm. And mm. Um, what sort of got me into that? And we could talk about mm-hmm. this a little bit more later on, um, is the experiences of grief, Mm. particularly maternal grief. And, um, in this book here, Contested Bodies, I talk a lot about the sort of ever presence of death, death of infants, death of enslaved women, um, because most enslaved women, their children did not, um, live into adulthood, Most of them died within a few days of being born. Um, You know, others died within two years of being born. And so while I did my research for Contested Bodies, I was surrounded by death. And Mm. it really struck me that within these records, there were only brief mentions of, of grief, how enslaved women were responding to the deaths of their children, And so I started doing some digging Mm. both in the archive um, and was the larger secondary literature that historians have written. How have historians dealt with the question of of death, particularly the emotional responses that enslaved Mm. people had um, to death. And so that sort of started me down the path of exploring not just grief, but other kinds of emotions that the enslaved people uh, experienced, how they expressed it, the kinds of social and cultural constraints around those emotions. And so that was sort of my time um, at the Gilder Lehrman uh, last semester. And I'm continuing that work uh, in the spring as I continue to be on sabbatical leave from Quinnipiac University. Well,
0: I'm, I'm gl- really glad you shared that because you you enabled me to say now that you have to come back in a few months (laughs) so normally i say that at the end of this show for all of my guests because they're newsworthy whoever kind of graces me with their presence they're certainly newsworthy but now i have i can just publicly get you to commit to come back is that is that correct that sounds wonderful i look forward to it harry harry i have a witness here in harry and and you're thinking you might the publishing date next spring next fall
1: um no so not spring not fall it will take me another few years okay, um because okay. so this book Contested Bodies um it took me about 10 years to okay. yeah to research and write um and so I can't sort of put a time stamp Good. on the Good. second book Um, But it will take me another couple of years um, because, you know, this kind of research, it's meticulous archival Mm -hmm, research mm -hmm. um, that requires a lot of traveling. That's a good point. So I spend a lot of time um, at the archives in England, at the archives in Wales, um, back in Jamaica and Mm -hmm. here in the United States as well. Um, So just from a practical standpoint in terms of traveling for the research, it does take quite a bit of time. The other piece of it um, that historians sometimes do not talk about uh, is the kind of emotional labor mm. that is involved mm. in this kind of work?
0: Mm. Um, so your own, your own personal, my
1: own personal. That's right. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because you sort of go through these records, and what you're seeing are really horrific conditions. Um, so these are conditions that no human being uh, should be forced to endure. And that does or that should do something to you mm-hmm. as a person. And so you have to sort of, you know, take a break mm. from the documents. Mm. So, mm. you know, my habit is when I'm, you know, doing archival research, I'm sort of the one who gets there when the archives mm. are open mm. and I'm the person who leaves mm. um, when the archives closes. But you know, during that full day at the archive, there are moments that you will come across documents that trigger you emotionally. And you just have to walk away. You have to, hmm. you know, take hmm. time to attend to the different kinds of emotional reactions that come out um, from engaging in that kind of a research. So, you know, there are different ways Boy. that we can think about the time that is required to mm-hmm. do this kind of work mm-hmm. and the sensitivity that's required in doing this kind of work.
0: Boy, that, that's, that's really, really profound. Uh, contested bodies people can purchase now, though.
1: Yes, so um, let, let's hold
0: it up. So that that's can right.
1: <laughs> so, contested bodies is available um, right now. You could go on the press's website. So, it's published by the University of Pennsylvania Press, um, and so you could go directly to the website and you could purchase it there. Um, it's also available on Amazon, um, so Tremendous. you can purchase it there from Amazon already. So it's it's, it's out um, and it's ready and available. Ready for to go, purchasing. ready to go. It's ready to go.
0: Again, you're, <laughs> you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show and Sasha, Sasha Turner is here with us, associate professor at, at Quinnipiac, but also a fellow at, at, at Gilder Lehrman. Uh, it's just a pleasure to kind of be chatting, particularly on Monday mornings. Well, I, I say that just personally kind of because the show helps me to get We've had this expression about to, to get woke and be woke, but it helps to wake wake me up to to get to the studio at least by ten o'clock. <laughs> that's a little <laughs> on the side. I know you're here at nine nine fifteen. Um and contested bodies Pregnancy, childbearing, and slavery in Jamaica is the title of her her newest work. But again, another work, stay tuned, is coming out. Uh, when we, Shasha and I, kind of shared notes and we were talking about maybe some talking points in our quick forty-five minutes, and some of the things were like the nature of abolition and how campaigners who lobbied against the slave trade what was the implications of that and what, uh, proposals for the abolition of of of, uh, of slavery. How were uh, was Britain and the investors were they more uh, concerned about protecting their interest and in, uh, rather than the, the actually liberation of people. Also, what lessons can people learn from the abolitionist movement and from the 18th and 19th century, and how does that even relate to today? Again, to repeat, how does something that occurred in the 18th and 19th century really have ramifications, and if we will, even evidence of what's cooking today in terms of the prison industrial complex? Also, how does abolition, not just slavery, undergird, in- inequality today, which is also another another profound statement. And what is the even what is the impact of biological re- reproduction? And you talked about that a little bit. they will become maybe a focus of your your your, your next book. But let's let, let's let's jump in. And again, we're not going to cover all these talking points today. <laughs> but I really the, I really love this show and WNH eight and WNHH and Harry and Paul Bass give me the chance to kind of plant some seed thoughts in people's minds. And and the and the uh, the uh, this show will be archived, and you can listen to it at your leisure. And we're going to put more footnotes also, Shasha that people can kind kind of follow up and maybe, uh, r- respond to you. But, uh, where do you want to jump in next?
1: Well, you know what? Um, I think, so <laughs> we won't sort of get to cover everything that the book talks about. Um, but I think you sort of mentioned, uh, the, the, the story, how the story mm. unfolds mm-hmm. for abolition. And, you know, a lot of the times when we think about histories of abolition, um, we tend to think of the saints. We tend to think of the humanitarian activists and my book sort of challenges that idea. Um, so I don't actually start uh, with abolitionists by constructing them essentially as saints, essentially as humanitarians. Um, what I do is you don't is, believe in white knights. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. I mean, <laughs> we had
0: black, we had black abolitionists also too. We had, we had black, but even you, you're, that's we, right. But you're even before that though.
1: Um, so. I, I'm not necessarily thinking of the abolitionists in terms of, you know, whether they were white abolitionists or black abolitionists. Mm-hmm. What I'm thinking of them in terms of is a strategy, the mm. approach. And mm. one of the sort of phrase that comes to mind is the cost benefit analysis. Cost that, benefit analysis. Cost benefit analysis, right. Um, that abolitionists use in constructing their strategies for ending First, the slave trade and then slavery. So, so let it wasn't me sort just a moral back. It, it wasn't just a moral thing. It mm. really, I mean, the moral piece of it was critical. And this is not to sort of discount the importance mm-hmm. of the moral campaign. Certainly, um, the abolitionists to decry the slave trade as inhumane, um, the slave trade as being horrific, uh, I'm not sort of discounting that argument But what I'm essentially arguing is that the moral interest was also, or, you know, was hand in hand with the economic interest. Hmm it was also hand-in-hand hand with the imperial interest. So we imperial have to, interest. The imperial interest, that's right. For Britain. Britain. Sh- that's never said. <laughs> that's right. This is the British imperial interest. Um, And so, you know, we sometimes think of the moral ground that abolitionists grounded their arguments for ending the slave trade on and sort of think of them as wanting uh the good of the whole. But the, the interests that were first and foremost were not necessarily freedom and equality for the enslaved people. The interests that were first 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 and foremost, were the imperial interests. This Mm. is the British imperial interests. The interests that were first and foremost were the economic interests of the planters, of the slave traders, all those private investors who had a Mm. stake um, in Mm. the slave trade and slavery. And so, you know, the the concerns for the enslaved people were really belated. It was really further down on the list of priorities for these abolitionists that I study.
0: So do me a favor and connect what you've just really profound and my head is kind of spinning what you mentioned. although I did read a little bit what you've just mentioned, how that relates to contested bodies, pregnancy, childbearing and slavery in, in Jamaica.
1: So the subject of my book are really the enslaved women and children. Um and I, I guess I could talk a bit about, you know, how I got involved in this project in okay. the first place. All right. Um, and it really um, started when I uncovered a letter written by a local agent in Jamaica. This is a plantation agent who manages, oversees the plantation in Jamaica. And he was writing to his employer in England. And in this letter, he you know, detailed changes that he was making to the labor of enslaved women. These were pregnant enslaved women. Mm-hmm. And he sort of said, you know, I assigned these women to work in small groups of two and three to ensure that they would assist one another to ensure that there was no injury to their pregnancy. And It stood out to me because what I had understood in terms of, you know, the history of slavery and childbearing and pregnancy is that planters were really not interested in pregnancy because they saw it as, um, you know, really a liability. So So they would...
0: Downtime and...
1: That's right. So the downtime that's required when women are pregnant, <laughs> the inability uh, to perform the same kind of labor. And of course, these children wouldn't necessarily be effective laborers until at least a few years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that argument has been there um, in the literature. But here I was reading through a letter which suggested quite the opposite. Mm. Um, Hmm. It's suggesting that planters did pay attention to pregnancy, that they did sort of um, change or did make some adjustments at the very least to enslave women's work and responsibilities during pregnancy. And so I started to dig a little bit further to, you know, understand, well, when was this letter written? Mm -hmm. Um, And by, this letter was written, I think it was in 1804. Mm -hmm. And this was three years prior to the abolition of the slave trade. Mm. And so in digging around what's going on in 1804, what I started putting together in terms of, you know, understand the context in which these changes are taking place is that this is the high point of the abolition of the slave trade.
0: So that's, yes, so rather, so the, we had the abolition of the so rather than being an import importing the, the 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 commodities, if you will. Right. Home growing them at home.
1: Yes, yes. And actually you sort of used the phrase uh just a minute ago, homegrown. Um I actually do have an article called Homegrown Slaves, mm. um, and it's published by the Journal of Women's History. And the concept of homegrown slaves is that the abolitionists propose that instead of relying on the slave trade, let's basically rear these slaves mm. Mm. locally, right? Mm. So it's shifting away from depending on a slave trade, which many in England in at the end um, of the 18th century to the beginning of the 19th century had seen as a brutal and inhumane system, mm. right? And so they're proposing to shift away from the slave trade towards locally growing mm. the slave population. Mm. Mm. Um, and so it is within that context of first abolitionists making this proposal um, and then planned or sort of taking up that ideal uh, towards changing the conditions of enslaved women's lives. But Tom, to go back to the point mm-hmm. that you you sort mm-hmm. of um, started off on, that's what I mean when I say it is the economic interests mm, mm-hmm. of the planters mm-hmm. um, and you know those who are invested in the slavery system that was first and foremost, right? Mm. Because if they were driven by humanitarian concern, you know, if the slave trade was really so repugnant to them, then the campaign should be about we need to end this and we need to end it right now. Oh, good.
0: You know, and and, and Jefferson just talked, and in America we had kind of a, re, a related kind of counter counterpoint, I guess, it was twenty years after or something abolished slavery in America or something. Right.
1: So it's it's just a Around the same time. Mm-hmm. So the British end uh, the slave trade to the Caribbean and other British uh, territories in 1807, and it's just about the same time that we're seeing the ending of the slave trade um, in America legally, as well. So around yes, yes, illegal yes, Right, legally, yes, yes. Um, or certainly international uh, traffic, because once that international traffic uh, from West and West Central Africa comes to an end, there's a domestic slave trade, in that takes hmm. place in hmm. the context of America. Um, so you're seeing enslaved people moving from the Upper South Area to the newly expanding areas um, of the Deep South.
0: That's right, let, Sh- Sasha. Let me give you a chance to kind of catch your breath. Again, this is Tom Ficklin show, and, and uh, Sh- Sasha Turner is with us. Uh, Sasha has her doctorate. I love to just say if people have their doctorate because uh, uh, n- n- unless you've gone through it, r- very few of us really, really we'll talking about emotional toil and toil will really, really not even understand or appreciate or even be able to identify with what you, you people that have achieved this, 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 this academic accolade have had to go through, I mean, they, but, but that, that's a, that's a third, that's the third time you'll come back. I'll we'll have you, Kalilah, Don Sawyer. Yeah. They have, they have so uh, the Great crew, the, the, the crew, the crew on, uh, so Shasha's at Quinnipiac university. She's, uh, on sabbatical and she's dealing with she's with the, uh, Gilder Lehrman center. Um, this is the Tom Ficklin show. I'm really just glad to kind of have, have you back. And I have been on the air this, this is the first time Shasha this year, I had to kind of take a break earlier this year. So happy new year to everyone. Um, and we're talking about her book, author of "Contested Bodies: Pregnancy, Childbearing, and Slavery in America." We're talking about her journey. We're talking about her, her, her really her concern and impact about our emotional life, and even how that the emotional life has kind of transgressed history and her his story and her story, regardless of where you are on the planet. We hear so much Sasha about the. Uh, you know, uh, epigenetics and and DNA and then and, and and transfer, transgenerational transfer of of trauma, which kind of your 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 next book kind of re- reflects it, I think, in, in a really strong strong way. Uh, but it is as we talk about today in 2018, where are we with our emotional output? Where are we when we see human human trafficking? Where are we when we see slave trafficking? Where are we, which goes on in you know, Libya and elsewhere? Where are we when we look at what's going on in D.C.? So how, how does are, are we all kind of enslaved to some, to some addiction or some perceptions? And how do we kind of clean our lens and really uh, abolish uh, uh, inequality in America and inequality in the world? But and I digress. So that's that's the fourth show you're going to come back. Uh, where, where do you want to pick it up from there?
1: Well, you know, you sort of um, mentioned uh, inequality. And I'll just sort of say the book focuses on Jamaica mm-hmm. um, and not on America. Okay. Um, certainly historians talk about the Americas in general to sort of uh, think about Um, you know, the North American territories prior to it becoming the United States of America. Um, But my work focuses uh, specifically on the Jamaican uh, experience within the context of the British Empire.
0: Well, well, you know, Kay Kay Raina and the rest of the crew here (laughs) in in, in Connecticut will be be mad at me if I don't give you a chance to make a shout out that you went undergraduate, (laughs) you went where?
1: So my undergraduate was at the University of the West Indies you, in Jamaica. Go. Yes. yes. So, so
0: you were born in Jamaica? <laughs>
1: born in Jamaica. So I say, you know, I'm fresh off the boat. I only recently arrived here in the United States in 2007.
0: Yes. But I'm going to, I don't really <laughs> uh, bicker or, or, or criticize or comment or, or engage my, my guest in, in dialogue, but you spent some time in England also.
1: Um. Yes. So, <laughs> so I'll, just, I'll just kind of throw that out. You know? Well, It was, uh, it was I, a I, red I did. bear. All
0: the whatever they call it, all the time. yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, England. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yes. Tell me about I, that. I
1: did. So, yes, you did. <laughs> um There are multiple reasons for me to spend time in England. Yes. um So one of the interesting things. So before, I sort of, throughout that, I did my my masters and my doctorate at the at Cambridge University. Cambridge, Cambridge
0: University, <laughs> Cambridge. Is,
1: you know, I guess that's Cambridge. Right. You know, okay, that, is that the Community College and? No. no, that's
0: not the community this college. Is the, Cambridge. Oh, the Cambridge, the
1: Cambridge, um, okay. you know, um, okay. so that's where 1409,
0: I did. <laughs> whenever they started, I don't know when they started, but so Cambridge,
1: yes, so, so your I, doctor's I, from Cambridge, both my um, my MPhil, so I have MPhil. an MPhil okay. as okay. well as a PhD from, me. Me. Have, okay. <laughs> from Cambridge, uh, University.
0: I wanted to throw that for people to kind of really get understand that you, you come from a a global, truly a global perspective, and sometimes American, North American historians can be really, quite frankly, biased. But your training does bias you. So, with this kind of global experience that you've had, and and what's was the name of the high school in Jamaica that you attended?
1: Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. So, shout out to all the Knoxites. So, I went to Knox College, um, Knox Complex of Schools. So, it's a school uh, that has a a prep school, a high school, and a community college, I went to Knox College, and then Knox Community College, so See? shout out to, See? you know, all the Knox so,
0: so, so, so important, and not, not to digress, we don't want to talk, waste our time, with talking about D.C., but when we hear these comments made about uh, our, the, the, the diaspora, etc., it's just, we get so, it's so uh, emotionally kind of draining, and another pleasure to kind of have you uh, as a world scholar here, here in front of me to kind of lift my lens this morning.
1: Thank you. But, but you know mm-hmm. what, Tom, it's, it's not, it's not um, a digression um, okay. because the communities from which we um, evolve, they sort of inform our scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there has been this sort of a myth around historians being objective Um, This idea that historians are sort of neutral conduits and we're sort of bringing the past to you in an intact form um, without sort of the historians own subjectivity informing Mm. the kinds Mm. of narratives that we write. Um, And I think my upbringing in Jamaica, um, you know, my experiences at the University of the West Indies. Uh, though, though those experiences inform who I am as a historian, and so it's not so much of a digression. Okay, okay, I think good, it's a very good, good, important part um, of you know understanding the kinds of questions that we ask of history. Um, you know, if you sort of read the book, uh, one of the things that I do is to give shout outs to or at- acknowledgement um to, you know, my forbearers at the University mm. of the West Indies. I can think about and I do sort of remember uh very vividly uh Vereen Shepherd, mm. uh Brian Moore, John Campbell, um, you know, Professor Carl Campbell, uh Fitzroy OJ. Um mm-hmm. they sort of informed mm. me um as a scholar, um, and the kinds of um You know, interest that I have and the kind of passion that I have about Caribbean history, that's really coming Mm. from my being first and foremost a Jamaican um, and, you know, my being uh, involved or coming out of that University of the West Indies. Um, One of the things that we don't think about uh, is the ways in which Caribbean history was written. Uh, before the Caribbean territories gained their independence. Mm, mm. Um, Caribbean history was just seen as an extension Mm -hmm. of British imperial Mm -hmm. history. Mm -hmm. If you talk about um, my parents' generation, certainly my grandparents', They'll tell you that Caribbean geography wasn't taught. So, you know, we weren't mm. taught, uh, not me, well, my grandparents, mm-hmm. um, you know, they weren't taught to be able to identify our sister islands, Trinidad and Tobago, mm. for example, or Barbados mm. on a map. But mm. they could tell you all the parts of the British Empire, you mm. know, where the sun never mm-hmm. sets. And so, you know, my upbringing as a scholar from the Caribbean sort of got me to be very intimately aware of what is at stake in uncovering Caribbean history from the perspective of a Caribbean national. Mm. Because, you know, the way in which um, Caribbean history evolved as a branch of British imperialist history is emphasizing the benevolence of the British empire almost to suggest that slavery was a good thing. So so that
0: that cost benefit analysis thing kind of resonates with you whenever you look at the past or even the the present. That's right.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, Because, you know, you think of the prior historians uh, who are coming out of Britain, the British historians who sort of emphasize the saintliness of the abolitionists um, and, we don't see that as a people from the Caribbean. We are perplexed by the argument that the British were humanitarian activists campaigning for the good of enslaved Africans. So, if that were the case, then you know your moral conviction should have led you to say mm. this is an immoral system. Um, this is a system that you know denies equality, that denies uh, liberty to fellow human beings, mm-hmm. and so that should have been a priority in terms of the campaign. Instead, uh, the campaign sort of centered around... The campaign around, for abolition. The, mm-hmm. That's right. The campaign for abolition centered around this very gradual approach to end in slavery. And I, I, I sort of have to go back to the point that, you know, it took uh, at least 20 years. It took almost three decades to get first mm. the abolition of the slave trade. And we have to be clear, a lot of people make the mistake in thinking that the slave trade and slavery ended at the same time, and mm-hmm, it didn't, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, so the slave mm-hmm. trade ended in 1807, and it wasn't until 1838 that we actually see the ending of slavery. And even in Jamaica, in, the end, yes, in Jamaica, yes. so mm-hmm. this is in the British territories, mm-hmm. right? And even in the ending um, of slavery, slavery also didn't end, right? So there was an immense, uh, sorry, mm. an apprenticeship system <laughs> that, that I was it's, putting, so it's really yeah. this very and, long. And it, r- r- rumor process. has it that
0: America held on to the it was leaving after that we we were, slow to the, we were slow slow to the party. That's right. And Brazil they were was very slower. late to the party. And Brazil they were was even all
1: it's party for the party. That's right.
0: <laughs> well, they missed out. They missed out. Before That's we right. jump to today and and, and uh, prison, prison industrial complex and inequality, share with us if you would, Sasha. Give some of the titles. Some of the titles from the chapters of your your your, your chapter titles. Just your chapter titles are really, you. I, I mean, you always take time, I'm assuming you take time to, to decide how to label a chapter, and I'm into marketing and, and public relations and, and, and messaging, but your chapter titles just themselves are really, really, I'm not just saying this just because you're my, all, all my guests are tremendous, I must admit, but re, read just a few of your chapter titles. I think the audience might.
1: Okay. Might be, Um, So the first chapter uh, is titled Conceive in Moral and Industrious Subjects, Women, Children, and Abolition. Um, The third chapter um, is framed as a question. And it's when women workers become mothers, who works? Motherhood, labor, and punishment. And I think perhaps my favorite chapter might Mm. be chapter four. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's titled uh, Broca Doctrina Do You Good. Um, <laughs> so
0: you're you're slipping into the
1: that's right the, the
0: Jamaican the American heritage <laughs> vernacular for, for us for us Anglo's kind of pronounce it the way you guess. is that patois or something that
1: so it's patois. Um, okay. and so
0: pronounce it again so
1: I'm I'm gonna say okay. it again and I'll say it yes. more slowly <laughs> <laughs> okay. Harry listen closely I'm,
0: I might need a translator
1: so chapter four Doctor no do you no good.
0: Okay, well, the no good I get. So that's right. Why, so the, the the slave master doctors are more harm.
1: That's right. Than, than,
0: than helpful. That's right. So, they were
1: more harmful than helpful. Um, and that title actually comes from a snippet of a song that enslaved women uh had sang um during slavery, and this was sort of, uh, sort of came by the way, really very uh, circuitously to us um in the archives. Uh, where a planter sort of, you know, was writing about Mm. these women who were resisting these women who were just not interested in subjecting their bodies to the care and treatment of white doctors. Mm. Um, and so, you know, they made up this song mm. to say, you know, we're not going to go see this Dr. Bucker doctor. They're doing a good. Right. Um, and so, you know, I use that title mm. to sort of call attention, um, to the resistance of enslaved women. So, you know, there are a number of things that are happening in the book. And so the book really is about conflict it's um, a conflict between uh, enslaved women and doctors hired by slave owners who, again, um, are trying here to harness the reproductive ability of enslaved mm-hmm, women. Mm-hmm. And these women are saying, this is my body, right? You know, mm-hmm. they're sort of claiming mm-hmm. ownership. They're claiming so autonomy me, me, over me, their body. Uh, so there
0: was a Me Too movement before we
1: did it. There was a me too movement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Just wonder. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, there is a sort of uh, a long historical legacy that women today are tapping into. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I dare say as a teacher of history, this is why history is important yes, that you know yes. sometimes we don a new outfit and we think we're new, right? Mm-hmm, but we're mm-hmm. not really doing um anything new right you know there is sort of a legacy we're always standing on the legacy yes, yes. of someone else and it's it's important to you know speak about those legacies and how our forbearers inform um who we are and the kinds of activism that we become um involved in
0: Boy, all the more reason you got to come back sasha <laughs> uh, again this is the tom ficklin show and, and sasha turner is with us author of contested bodies pregnancy childbearing and slavery in jamaica i read as, as i mentioned uh Sasha, so a little bit and the emotional impact of your book. It's a, t- it's a tough read. It's, it's a, it's a tough read and that's intentional. So that's, that's, the, I think that's the highest compliment I can give you as a, as a lay person. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: it's, it's a tough read because the, the, the emotion the emotions, the, 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 visions of what's took, te- 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 took place. We know about one level seeing the whippings and the, and the, et cetera, um, and wearing shackles, but there's something about, as you've just expressed the, 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 the actual pain, um, and what we call emotions today—that just—it's tough. So I yeah. found that I can only read a page, and I have to take a break, and maybe maybe another page, and skip a little bit. But that's what it's all about, I think, in terms of the the yeah. scars that we 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 have, and that we haven't really uncovered.
1: Yeah, this is not um, meant to be a bedtime reading. This mm-hmm. is not the the book that you sort of um, read before going to bed. Yeah, um, it's not light reading. I mean, it's on slavery, mm-hmm. um, and so one sort of wouldn't necessarily expect um, that yes. we are gonna. You know, approach this topic lightly. Um, you know, the process of writing a book is is very time consuming, and part of what makes it time consuming, apart from traveling to different spaces to access the documents, um, it goes through several rounds of review. Mm, so before mm, anything mm, gets mm, published, mm. Uh, which is a difference between you know academic work and some more you know popular works. That yes, you know, yes. it goes through several rounds of reviews. There are scholars who are reading the work. Um, and you know, one of the, the comments that I've often received about my book, you know, prior when it was a man in, in its manuscript phase is that, boy, that's a depressing book. <laughs> <It's>, so,
0: <laughs> it, 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 it brings up our biases and what we've ignored and what we haven't wanted, wanted to face. And that, 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 that kind of cognitive dissonance is kind of
1: tough. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, and I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call my book a depressing book. Um, it's a complex book. Certainly it's a book that forces us to look at aspects of slavery that are invisible. A lot of the times people will say, are we still talking about slavery? Mm -hmm. Um, but we haven't fully begun to talk about Mm -hmm. slavery Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you watch some of these films that attempt to portray slavery And I'm so tired of seeing, you know, women being stripped and beaten as if that were the sum total of the Mm -hmm, enslaved mm -hmm, experience. In mm -hmm. fact, um, one of the things that I I highlight in in the book, and I'll also add in here shamelessly, um, the African-American Intellectual History Society, that I'm a regular contributor um, to them as well. And there's a piece uh, that I had written about the invisible threads of slavery, and one of the invisible threads um, is that uh, sort of um, the, the, the manipulation of enslaved women's reproductive ability. So if you look at the ways in hmm. which slavery was built, it was built on this this, this concept of part of ventrum. Um, it means offspring follows belly.
0: Offspring follows belly. <laughs> is there a patchwork expression uh, for that also? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to you know, break, break it down. we got to have these so all I'm gonna, around.
1: I'm going to break down partus <laughs> sagetar yes. ventrum. Thank you.
0: Thank offspring
1: you. follows belly.
0: Offspring follows belly. Right.
1: Okay. And what that means is that all children who were born within these uh, colonial contexts, they mm-hmm. weren't slave societies yet, Um, They took the status of their mothers. Mm. And so every enslaved Ah. woman who gave birth to a child, that child, um, you know, followed the mother's status. status. Even if there
0: was a white father.
1: Even if it were a white father. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: what that does is that it lays a property claim. It lays a financial claim. It 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 sort of breaks that mother-child bond. It sort of does not recognize Mm, mm. the maternal grief, for Mm, example, mm. that can come from the separation of mother and child, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So we sort of know intellectually that enslaved women were separated from their children, but we haven't really, you know, sat down to, to to process and to think about what it means for these enslaved women to become pregnant, to watch their bellies grow with the trepidation that, you know, as soon as As my child is born, this child might be separated Mm, from mm, me. And mm. what that does to a mother, Mm. right? Um, We haven't really sat down and meditated and tried to understand what it means that when a mother's child dies, an enslaved mother's child dies, The first thought of the slaveholder, the first thought of the planter, isn't necessarily to give her space, to give her a moment to grief, but it's how do I capitalize on her milk production, right? How do I capitalize on her lactating, right? And so these women, um, every aspect Mm -hmm. of their body, Mm -hmm. every aspect of their reproductive ability was harnessed in this horrific system
0: say, say that part again that even after the baby was was uh say born stillborn yeah um, yeah the, the planter was mad
1: yeah that yeah.
0: He's, he's he's this new machine is not available to him that's but right but then still exploited the
1: suppo- right the lactation. lactation so yeah yeah so you know in save women who gave birth Um, You know, their children who died, Mm. Um, you know, their planters who would rent out their enslaved women to act as wet nurses Mm. to Mm. white women. Mm. Um, And even though there was a lot of criticism within Mm. the colonies about white women using um, black wet nurses for their children, Mm -hmm. the practice still persisted. Mm. And so women on the one hand who had children, they had to set aside their own babies and suckle white children, right? Mm, mm. Or women who lost their children, who lost enslaved women, um, whose children had died, you know, they're not given that space. So there's mm-hmm, no mm-hmm, recognition mm-hmm. of maternal tie space for grief, between, between, enslaved women and their children, there's no space being given uh, for grieving. You know, the Mm -hmm. the first thought is, Mm -hmm. how do I capitalize on this woman's ability to produce milk? So you look at slave advertisements, for example. Mm -hmm. So one of the Mm -hmm. sources, I could talk about my sources. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the sources, a set of sources that I use are advertisements. And so you will see advertisements uh, for women with, quote unquote, abundant milk, right? Um, And so this idea of women with abundant milk are women Who had recently given birth. So you'll see requests also being made, right? Um, for women who are lactating, so you know it's not just the brutal whipping, it's not mm-hmm. just the backbreaking work that's performed. Um, in my case, in Jamaica, in the sugarcane fields, or here in the United States, in the cotton field, but there are these other kinds of invisible forms of labor mm-hmm. and other invisible kinds of exploitation and just um, sheer human brutality that these enslaved women were boy, forced to boy, endure. Boy.
0: Sasha, I'm not going to give you a chance. I gotta, I gotta push you along, and I know this. Is, <laughs> I know you've talked about. This before you your your lecture, but even just as you repeat it, even if it's ten thousand times, it still takes an emotional toll on you. So I'm I'm sensitive to that. Uh, Sasha Turner is with us. Uh, contested bodies, pregnancy, uh, childbearing, and slavery in America. Let's jump in the last few minutes. Although it, this sounds as if it's not as important, but it is uh, the prison industrial complex and inequality.
1: Um. So you 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 had mentioned earlier that um you know one of the things that we have to think about in terms of history is the connections that we're able to to make between the 18th and 19th century to today. Um, and the abolitionists were, like I said, they made these cost-benefit analysis. And the unfortunate thing um, that I, I sort of think about as it relates to the prison industrial complex and, you know, contemporary ideas about prison reform Mm -hmm. or prison abolition is that they're making a similar cost-benefit analysis. That the primary um, engines behind the discussion may not necessarily be concerns about equality, may not necessarily be about concerns for the preservation of human dignity, but concerns about well, you know, um, how many in, uh, how many people do we have who are incarcerated, and what does it mean for state budgets? You know, um, how do we sort of ensure uh, that our prison numbers are uh, low? How do we sort of um, you know secure um, secure our society and so mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the main emphasis seems to be shifting away from those who are incarcerated and what does this actually mean uh, for state budgets what does this actually mean mm. for you know mm. private investors private, yes, um yes. you think about and i i know this is a point that gets repeated a lot um, you know, we know about the, the prisons for profits, right? So mm-hmm, why are prisons mm-hmm. for profits? You know, if prisons are supposed to be reforming mm. the offender, um, why is there sort of a dollar figure being attached to the amount of people who are being incarcerated? So again, I think one of the lessons that we can pull from abolitionists, and this is not to suggest mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that abolitionists do not have um, a moral or humanitarian concern, but we have to make sure that the priority is on the human beings, that concerns for profits, concern uh, for investors, those um, are at best secondary concerns, mm. but should not be a concern um, at all. But it should really be on the human life that is at stake.
0: Boy, thank you. Thank you so much for that. We're, we're winding down. I do want to give you the, the last word, but I want you to see if you have the, you know, if the spirit moves you to kind of chat a little bit about inequality.
1: So... <sighs> You know, um, one of the challenges, um, and I I do talk about this in the book, and it's Mm -hmm. something um, that I see, that a lot of times we are concerned with overt acts of racism, and Mm -hmm. we rightly should be. But I think part of the, the, the missing piece is that invisible sort of racism that gets intertwined within the system that becomes second nature it's almost like breathing air what
0: you're talking about you talk about structural structural, structural,
1: inequality. structural inequality um you know we can think about um, unequal access to housing unequal access to education but we need to pull back one layer um below that which is to think about the creation of a system that makes you think automatically that when you see a person of color a black person you automatically think of them in inferior terms. Mm -hmm. You think of Mm -hmm. them in criminal terms, Mm -hmm. right? And so Mm -hmm. the inequality Mm -hmm. has to, we have to think about inequality, not just in terms of the end product, Mm -hmm. which is housing inequality, um, you know, healthcare inequality, education inequality, but the very mindset that racism becomes like breathing to Mm -hmm. a lot of us, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. we sort of make these automatic, automatic assumptions about who people are. And then we sort of see that rippling out in how police, respond to communities of color how teachers respond mm, mm, um, to children of color within mm, the classroom so
0: that's like seven reasons that you have to come back so you're <laughs> we'll be back in april may june and july <laughs> okay. uh we're winding down the tom ficklin show the book um uh, contested bodies pregnancy childbearing and slavery in america by S- sasha turner is definitely worth purchasing she's come out with a new one we're going to have this up sasha um yeah the last word
1: um, well, you know, um, Tom, I, I think this is a wonderful opportunity to, to talk about um, you know, the importance of history. Mm-hmm. I know sort of um there is sort of a push back against, you know, history being taught and we sort of get get treated as the unloved stepchild in <laughs> in, in many um, institution, um, but you know, unless we sort of have an intimate understanding mm. um, of the past and the way in which the the past continues to inform. Who we are as individuals and who we are as a society, it will be very difficult mm-hmm. to achieve goals. you know so mm-hmm. we think of um, goals like prison abolition, for example, or go back to the 18th century, the abolition of slavery, we can't achieve those goals without having some clear idea mm-hmm. about what exactly the problem is and we can get um, you know a real good grasp of the problem by studying history mm-hmm. by becoming mm-hmm. students of history. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Tom.
0: We'll see you soon. Again, four or five times. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Every week.
1: (laughs) Look forward to it.
0: Tune in next Monday, 10 o'clock, Harry. Thank you so much. Paul Bass. always like to mention Paul's name, the New Haven Independent. The uh, the low-power license has has been able to secure it. uh, WNHH and just you, the community, for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Certain. Keep on working, open curtains, hate it swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. Ooh. I'm never gonna give up, give up, fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, hey. Cause this is my road, let's camera action, I'm ready to go. I'm never gonna give up, give up, fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. Hey. Yeah, this is my road, let's camera action, I'm ready to go them storms now you gon' face the dawn you waiting for i said from night to dawn i write my wrongs alone in competition with one is i now i'm running toward and my lights are finished being a quitter but little little by little they choking telling some riddles now i'm in my section, ain't willing to give up. but you getting knocked down but you got to get up i'm never going to give up give up fall down i just got to get up get up hey. cuz this is my road let camera get my action on